Making History is a show about people in history that have had an impact on our world. We will be exploring what made them important, but our main focus will be on who that person was outside of well-known records. We will be diving deep into who these people were, when, what they hated, who they loved, and other less known information about their lives. In order to show the world that no one is perfect, we're all human and make mistakes, but that doesn't mean we can't be great and have a profound impact on tomorrow. Welcome to Humanizing History. This is your host, Cliff. And this is your other host, Nick Downey. Uh, anyway, so we're back here on a Monday. How was your weekend? It was good. It was busy. So it was birthday weekend. So for uh, a lot of people. Oh, so okay. We hosted my youngest brother's birthday. Uh, he turned twenty-three. So okay. they had a little. They invited a bunch of people, and they have a little tiny condo. And so we're like, just have it at our house. Like we have this nice, decent sized house. And so we had about fifteen people over on Saturday night. It was a lot of fun. And then. Uh, on my wife's side, we do group birthdays. So we like say, hey, if your birthday is from February, it was, we celebrated February and March birthdays. Okay. And so, uh, yeah, we went to Old Spaghetti Factory, had a good good little meal. Spaghetti Factory? Have you never been there? Never even oh, heard of it. it's delicious. It's a, it's a chain. You know, they have them in a lot of places. But it's down on Central and uh, McDowell. The ghetto. Yeah. So it was in the heart of Phoenix. Actually, I, that area is really weird because there's like $800,000, $900,000 homes. And then it's like two blocks down and there's just trash and homeless people. And it's crazy. That's a really weird area. So I grew up at 7th Street in Indian School. Mm-hmm. I didn't grow up there, but I lived there for a long time. And it's changing. The city's definitely changing yeah. because they are really trying to bring money into the city. Mm-hmm. So... They're re- renovating everything. Yeah. You have lofts going up downtown mm-hmm. that are $3,000 a month. And like you said, a quarter mile down the road, there's a trailer in the right. middle of a field. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's really, really interesting. Yeah, but how was your weekend? It was, it was good. Just real, you know, calm, quiet. Just uh, hung out with my kid and hung out with the wife. Got nice. some stuff down. Getting ready for leaving. Nice, nice. So you're going to be uh, in Montana for a little bit. We are, yes. So we're leaving middle of this week. We're going to go look at some properties up there and visit with some family and have a good time. You're not going to look at properties. I'm going to do the Jedi mind trick. Yeah. You're staying in Phoenix. That doesn't work on me. Uh, yeah. You strong-minded person. Something like that. So, But that actually is a good segue into... Tonight's episode, not I mean, the first episode is actually going to sound pretty normal, um, but we're recording two episodes tonight, so uh, we might be tired in our episode releasing on, oh gosh, when would that one even release? The 22nd, so, and you'll find out who it is, even though I have it already right in front of me. <laughs> uh, I also want to apologize, uh, my voice is a little raspy and uh, hoarse, I wish I had a cool story about it. But I just get really frustrated when I play uh, video games, and I was screaming at FIFA this afternoon. Gotcha. So, yeah, um, I'm a smart person. Well, eh, you know, you're playing FIFA. That says it all. Oh. <laughs> the top-selling video game in the world every single year. <laughs> Look it up. I believe you. Yeah. <laughs> People love their soccer. They do. And, well, it's worldwide, too. It's not just yeah. an American thing. Yeah. It's very much... The entire world. Exactly, so. exactly. It if anything, sense. in America is where it, it struggles. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. 
But yeah, got a little bit too competitive. It's interesting. Like there's like I've always been a competitive person, and there's definitely things where I get a little too competitive, um, such as sports video games. But I can play other video games and be totally fine. But then I'll play like Counter Strike, and I want to throw the controller just <laughs> through a window. So. See, I, I, I've never gotten like that. I've gotten mad at video games, but not to the point where I've thrown something. I've yelled here and there. Uh, okay, sorry. I always throw my, I, I usually throw my hat at least once. I've never thrown anything besides a hat. So um, I'm competitive when it comes to driving. Okay. See, I'm not. And that's where I lose my cool. <laughs> yeah. See, my competitiveness, everyone's okay. Cliff's competitive, people die. <laughs> Only twice. And you know what? I was not convicted, so... Great. <laughs> that is fan-freaking-tastic. Uh, so, well, without further dudes, um, people are going to think I'm an idiot. I know it's not further dudes. It, Do you have a phrase that you say wrong? Yeah, without further dudes. Well, no, no, no. Like, you said it wrong for so long and then didn't realize it was wrong until, like, someone caught you? I don't think so, but I do intentionally pronounce things okay. wrong just for the hell of it. Yeah. Like, but I digest so, I mean, you're, you're being it funny, but there are people that will say phrases for years. and A, a big one is intensive purposes. Intensive purposes? Yeah. What the heck? Have you ever heard someone say, uh, for all intents and purposes? Right. The words are intense, intense and purpose. purposes. Right. But a lot of people think it's intensive purposes. And I've caught <laughs> two dozen people easily saying, oh, well, for all intensive purposes. And I'm like, do you mean intends and yeah. purposes? Or when people say Pacific instead of specific. What? Specific ocean isn't right? Ah, well, you may swim in a specific (laughs) ocean. That specific ocean could be the Pacific Ocean. But you can't say, well, that Pacific person. Well, I guess you could. There are people that are from the Pacific. Uh, Your grammar Nazi is showing. It really is. (laughs) All right, well, we're going to go ahead and jump in here because we got to cover, cover two podcasts tonight, and I want to go to bed. Yes. So, our first person is going to be Nostradamus. Nostradamus. That's yeah. an interesting person. Like he, he was very interesting. And I know a little bit about the guy. I guess my only thing I really know about him is his whole fortune-telling thing. Okay. And I, that's probably going to be a lot of what you cover. That is a good portion of it, yeah. I don't know too much about him, um, so I'm interested. I'm, well... And I was interested in him. That's why I went ahead and picked him for this week. Because he, he was a very fascinating man. Mm-hmm. But all I really knew about him was, you know, uh, people say that he predicted 9-11 or that he predicted this or predicted that. Right, right. So I wanted to look into it and see what I thought for myself. Are you going to go into some of his predictions? Yeah. That at the end of the podcast, we're going to go into a handful of them. And, okay. And we'll let the audience decide if they think he is, you know, this seer or not. Okay. So. Okay. During the Renaissance, when the world was changing from medieval to more modern times, Michel de Nostradam was born. He was born in Saint-Rémy-de-Provence in Provence, France, in December of 1503. Now, he was born either the 14th or the 21st. Interesting. That's a weird gap. Yeah, so the only no one knows why. They don't know which day he was born. My only thought is records weren't that great back then. And it was like, oh, my kid was born the second Sunday of the month. And it was a, know, it was a year with three or a week with three Sundays or, or whatever, something five like Sundays. That. Cause it's a week apart. It's the 14th of the 21st. Right. So. Right. But who knows whatever I mean, he was, couldn't, they couldn't predict his birth. Ooh, <laughs> oh, ooh. no due dates. So he had 
at least eight other siblings. Again, eight. Wow. Records weren't being great, so he had at least eight that we know of. We got to imagine. So, when was he born again? Fifteen oh three. Okay, so records probably weren't the greatest. Uh, people probably passed away, or you lost children more back then, unfortunately. Yeah. So, yeah, it was probably hard to keep track of that. Oh yeah. He was born into a wealthy family. Okay. That uh, was full of notaries, which apparently was a, a great profession. A notary, like uh, I'm watching you sign thing, notary. Yes. Don't really? forget the stamp. Oh, okay. <laughs> Got to bring that rubber stamp. Got to be like Dwight Schrute once again. <laughs> office reference, and you don't show. watch. <laughs> Bears beats Battlestar Galactica, and Dwight Schrute doesn't even say that. So. I've seen a few. Well, no, that was Jim, wasn't that it? Was it was Jim making yeah. fun of Dwight, but so he was born into a wealthy family of notaries, lawyers, and his dad was a grain and money dealer. Grain, a money dealer. No, a grain and money dealer. Right, I can understand being a like a grain dealer, but did he sell money? That's what I didn't understand. Okay, I don't understand 1503 economics. Okay, but yeah, so when I looked him up, his father's title was grain and money dealer. Mm, okay. So, cool. Michelle's grandfather changed his family's name from Gassonet, a Jewish name, to Nostradam, which means Our Lady. Okay. He did this to avoid persecution during the Inquisition. Okay. Which was happening at the time. It's nuts, like, just how often the Jewish culture has been persecuted. Yeah. It, it really, it is interesting. And now, this is coming from me growing up in a biblical background but it even mentions in the bible that the jewish people will be you know persecuted throughout history and i just i just think it's interesting that we do see that well and we still see it still to this day of course but that's biblical it's gonna happen yeah so at this time anything that was seen as against the church you know quote unquote could be punishable by having your land taken away or being imprisoned or even being put to death do you know what I find really interesting about that? I know I'm laughing about being put to death, but that, that's not why I was laughing. So it always is funny when you hear things like this, where the church is persecuting Jewish people because they're against the church, but the Christian church is derived from half of our Bible. Uh, of, of, <laughs> like if it wasn't for the Jewish faith, there would be no Christianity. It, it, it makes no well, sense. Jesus was a Jew. Yeah, and they're the chosen people, but... There's, you know, throughout history we see because, yeah, it, it's nuts. And this is one of those things that, again, we look back on in history and go, how could they do this? Mm -hmm. But at that time, that's what was the norm. Right. Again, which, of course, it's wrong. Yeah. But that's just the way things were. And it sucks. Yeah. Just because something did happen doesn't make it right, but it did happen. Of course. Of course. So this was a common practice for a lot of people at this time because they didn't want to be seen as heretical or get picked on or anything. So a lot of people changed their names to be less Jewish mm -hmm. and to sound, you know, more Catholic. So Michelle was very excited about learning from a very young age. This is another thing I found with a lot of people from history that we've covered. They have all been learners. And I think you would have to be. Uh, I don't think you become famous in a good way. Unless you take the steps to be successful. And I think education is a way to success. Of course. And he he's very educated. But this is one of those things that like from four, five years old, they just have this passion to mm -hmm. learn. Yeah. 
He was also very intelligent, and his, his grandfather recognized this talent that he had for learning, and he took it upon himself to teach the child, you know, from three, four years yeah. old. He even asked Michelle's parents if he could take the child to live with him so that he could teach him at his own house. Wow. And this was the grandfather. This is the grandfather. Okay. Correct. Which his parents totally agreed to. They thought it's a great idea. Yeah. I'm sure what went on through their heads was, hey, you know, I want to take your son and teach him at my house. And the parents are like, you want to take one of our nine children? <laughs> right. Do you right. want to take three or four more? Yeah. <laughs> and not only that, you're advancing their their abilities and you're teaching them, but you're also giving them that relief as well. Absolutely. And we have one kid and we get excited when our parents take them. And Same boat. I could not imagine having one of your kids taken and you have eight of them. Yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't even notice that one. Take five, dude. <laughs> right. I thought I'd lost him at the store last week. but <laughs> Once he was living with his grandfather, he began learning about the ancient teachings of Kabbalah. Okay. Do you know what Kabbalah is? Okay. You're going to have to refresh me. I've heard of it. Um, it's something religious, and but I don't know exactly what it is. But I know it has. I guess whenever I hear about Kabbalah, it's usually in my paranormal podcast or that type of uh, supernatural type of thing. Okay, so Kabbalah is, as one place described it, Judaism after dark. Oh gosh! So, but you know what? I it, that was a big religion in Hollywood for like the early two thousands. Do you remember like a bunch of people becoming like Cabal? No, I don't. Yeah. So now I don't that pay you mention Hollywood at all. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those things where it was. I want to say early two thousands. Um. Yeah. But anyways. Okay. So I I know nothing about it, but the word Kabbalah literally means reception tradition or correspondence and kabbalah is part of the jewish tradition that deals with the essence of god whether it entails a secret text an experience or the way things work kabbalists believe that god moves in mysterious ways now however kabbalists also believe that true knowledge and understanding of that inner mysterious process is obtainable okay and through that knowledge the greatest intimacy with god can be attained okay this is what i know from the internet uh, so if i'm mistaken let me know this is not you know my religion michelle enjoyed this teaching so he enjoyed teaching period he enjoyed learning but he really took a liking to this the mysticism kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. And his grandfather gave him books, the, these old ancient mystical books, and he kept them till the day he died. Oh, wow. He was also taught, you know, mathematics. He was taught Greek, Hebrew, Latin, and the celestial sciences, which is dealing with astrology and Hebrew tradition that studies the heavens. Gotcha. Now, his his grandfather, mm -hmm. was he... It's sounding like he's a well-educated man. Did it say what he did for a living? Like, no. He's teaching them math and science and so, religion. Like That just seems like a lot. So, to be honest, though, even if you look back 150 years ago here in America, people were so much better educated than we are now. So, it's just... I think that they I don't know if I would more... agree with it. I think the educated people were more educated. Well, well exactly. Okay. That's what I mean. Yeah. So if you're getting an education, you are educated. Yeah. People knew eight-syllable words and used them every day in normal conversation right. because that's just how they learned. They were, mm -hmm. they were taught that. 
Granted, of course, there were, well, we had slaves that we didn't, we refused to, we, I wasn't there, that the people at the time refused to let them learn. So, of course, there's going to be differences. But, yeah, people that were educated were educated far beyond what we are today, at least language. He was also later encouraged by his grandfather to study medicine and medical practices. So, moving back just a little bit to when he was a small child... Michelle began having visions in his dreams and nightmares when he was a very young child. Okay. Again, four or five, that kind of age. He didn't understand where it came from or why he was seeing them. Uh, he even had trouble telling people about it. Nobody understood what he was, what he was yeah. trying to say. Except his grandfather. Interesting. Okay. So again, his grandfather helped him develop the abilities that he used later on in okay. life. Okay. Okay. So was his grandfather interpreting these dreams for him or he wasn't? Well, so he would bring some to his grandfather and say, this is what's happening. What does it mean? But his grandfather just helped him hone to, he helped him learn what it means. So, okay, you had a dream and there was a bag of almonds and a cup and a pen in it. Well, that means that such and such. I I don't know. Right. So okay, he so, just so, helped so him learn was, how to interpret it. Okay, so it was interpretation of dreams. Do you dream journal at all? No. That's something I've always, I should be doing because I have some whacked out dreams. And they're really, when I do have dreams, they're very, very vivid. Um, and the cool thing is I found out that I am a small percentage of men that can wake up and go back into a dream. And going oh, back into okay. sleep. So like I can actively, like if I'm in a dream. And I wake up from that dream and I'm like, crap, I really liked that dream. I can fall back asleep and start exactly where I was left, where I left off in the dream. The other cool thing is, is it almost puts me into a lucid state. So at that point, I know I'm dreaming. Very cool. I've never mastered the whole, like, there are dreams where I kind of understand that I'm in a dream and can do some weird stuff. But I know some people that, I don't personally know some people, but I've heard stories of people that are able to just go nuts with with controlling their dreams but yeah there's times where i know that i'm in a dream because i've woken up mid-dream gone back to sleep to continue the dream see i, I can't do it once i'm up yeah it's gone forever and that's how most people are it's even more rare in men to be able to do it women usually have an easier time doing it so little tidbit at around age 14 which would be uh, 15 17 or so michelle was sent to the city of avignon most of these are from a language I don't speak, so forgive me. I'm going to try to pronounce them as best I can. I actually looked up pronunciations for these. Oh, so you're way better than I so. am. See, the person that I'll be covering tonight, uh, it's all in America, so I'm good. Not just American, but you're going to probably have to talk like this some uh, of the time. I am, but uh, <laughs> that's just a little hint. Somebody from the South. So, okay. At age 14, he was sent to the city of Avignon, and he was enrolled at the University of Avignon which was really more like a high school than a a university where he was supposed to learn about music, grammar, astronomy, rhetoric, and mathematics. Okay. Which again, he had already excelled at. So this is just a refresher course more or less. He was only there for about a year because the school shut down due to an outbreak of the plague. The plague. Oh gosh. And the plague of course, being, you know, the Black Death, the bubonic plague. That Wait, time out. Before you go any further, they couldn't just Zoom their classes? <laughs> You're going to be serious. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> wow. They should have. Well, he had visions. No masks. Why couldn't he just sat at home and 
right it. yeah just you can telepathically do this stuff yeah. i can't believe no masks or, no vaccines those big, oh those little uh the death the, masks the, right? the, well those yeah those were for doctors they would stuff uh incense and stuff inside orange of those peels things. yeah yeah and that it, was supposed to protect them from the plague but now they just look creepy as hell and people use them for halloween costumes now oh yeah and it suits it the plague of course being the black death the bubonic plague, which swept across Eurasia and North Africa, that ended up killing up to 200 million people. We don't know exactly the number, of course. Right, yeah. A majority of these deaths happened well before he was born, but pockets of the plague would still pop up and still do to this day pop right, up there and was, shut areas down. Right, there was a uh, portion of China, was it last year? that had a, a plague outbreak so we're still getting it we get it here in america too yeah it's very rare and it's something now that a dose of antibiotics and you're you're good to go right well and the other thing too is our just our genetics a lot of us it's one of those survival of the fittest things so the people that did survive their genetics passed down to us so we're able to fight it off or maybe you know almost be immune to it i don't want to say exactly i'm not a you know i'm not a doctor but it does have to do with our genetics and being able to fight off those things because we were surviving ancestors, you know, our ancestors survived it. So from here, once school shut down, there was no YMCA or after school programs. But so there were the village people. <laughs> he did visit the village people. He would travel around the countryside and he was studying herbs and their usefulness in medicine and even became an apothecary oh, while wow. he was just waiting to figure out what to do. An apothecary, for those of you who don't know, is a person that's like a doctor and right. a compounding pharmacist all in one. Right. You know, it's funny that you mentioned this. Me and my wife had a conversation this weekend, and we were kind of talking about Harry Potter and, and just kind of like the wizard stuff. I would have, I always thought it would be cool to be into like potions and stuff. Mm -hmm. I think that if I would have been like around in the 1500s, I would have been an apothecary because I think that this, the idea of blending stuff and mixing stuff would be super cool. Um, if I would have known that I was interested in that, maybe I would have been chemistry or something, but found it out too late in life. I think if I was around then, I would have been burned at the stake because I can't keep my mouth shut. Yeah. I don't think I would have made it to 18 even. Yeah, you're a witch, so. <laughs> Far from it, but I'm sure I'd, they'd label me that. <laughs> so after wandering around for a few years and figuring some stuff out, becoming an apothecary, in 1522, he entered the University of Montpellier to study his doctorate in medicine. Okay. This was considered one of the major medical colleges of the time. It was not just a teaching college, but it was kind of like UCLA, you know, where so people they're send actually... stuff to get work done gotcha, and gotcha. lab tests and everything. This was very similar to that. Gotcha. Kind of like what U of A is to, or University of Arizona is to the state of Arizona. Okay, yeah, I gotcha. He graduated in 1525, only three years. Okay. With his doctorates in medicine. Now, this is where the waters kind of get fishy. Okay. Because depending on where you look, it says he was kicked out of college. Okay. Like, if you look on Wikipedia, it says he was kicked out. Okay. But if you look on biography, okay. it says no, he wasn't. I don't think that he was kicked out because he, this is where he changed his name. Okay. So typically, people that would graduate college and would be educated people yeah they would change their name to a more latinized okay version interesting so as soon as he did graduate he received his little pointy hat 
and changed his name from Notre Dame to Nostradamus. Nostradamus. Okay. Now, did he practice medicine after this? He did, yes. Okay. So that's an, I mean, not saying that they had, you know, people that checked people's licenses at that time, but I would assume that he would, you know, if he didn't practice, then he probably didn't graduate. But I, I don't know. It's, it's, back even before the time where you could sneak into the military by forging a signature so <laughs> that's true yeah before this he was even working as an apothecary yeah so i don't think it would have been too hard for him to get work as a doctor yeah. anyway yeah. he's basically doing it and on wikipedia they say that the reason he was kicked out of medical school is because he was an apothecary which is a manual labor job which to me made absolutely zero sense okay you're studying to be a doctor after you've worked essentially as a doctor and they're kicking you out for doing that, it, it doesn't make sense to me. In any case, over the next several years, Nostradamus traveled throughout France and Italy, treating mostly victims of the plague. And, of course, there was no known remedy at this time. Most doctors would rely on potions that they made out of, like, mercury. Oh, great. And, you know, they'd practice bloodletting. They would dress their patients with, like, garlic wrapped cloth or garlic soaked cloth thinking that that would ward off the the plague it's we look at that now and think how crazy that is but we really would not have the medicines that we have today if it wasn't for people trying crap like that oh yeah yeah like, well you know what the bible says god's given us everything we need here on earth yeah so just pick it up eat it and see if it kills you if it doesn't well see what it's useful for right Nostradamus himself had developed some personal methods for dealing with the plague, though. Okay. So he didn't wrap people in garlic, soak linens, and feed them mercury. What he did do was encourage effective hygiene. Okay. And encourage the removal of infected corpses from the streets. No bloodletting. Okay. And he also became known for creating a rose pill which was like an herbal lozenge made out of rose hips, which okay. are very high in vitamin C. Mm-hmm. This provided some relief for the patients, but really only for people that had like a mild, mild case of the case. plague. His cure rate was impressive, though, but much of it can be attributed to keeping patients clean, having them eat like low-fat diets, and providing them fresh air. Because a lot of times when you got the plague, they wrapped you up in garlic linens and shoved you in a corner. Right. You know, with two dead people next to you. Yeah. This led him to become somewhat of a local celebrity around France. Okay. Because he's basically the only guy at this time that's able to cure the plague. Right. If I mean, if you could do anything, even to subside the pain and such, I could imagine you being famous. And now he's essentially curing people. Obviously, he probably did have people that passed away, but of course. He, he's making it a better place. So, of course, people are going to come see him. All right. Well... Around 1531, Nostradamus married his first wife. Okay. We don't know her name because it's just been lost to the history books. Regardless, he started popping kids out with her. Well, just just real quick before you move forward, he clearly can't predict the future because he married more than once, so he clearly didn't <laughs> figure out that his first wife would be his first wife. Now, I agree with you, <laughs> but... Don't spoil it just yet. Okay. We want people to be unbiased in their opinions okay. before the end. In any case, so he, he had his wife. They started having kids. They had two children. And he was still traveling around France and Italy, 
healing people of the plague. Unfortunately, in 1534, just three short years after he married his wife, he was on a medical mission to Italy, and she passed away. Oh, jeez. Along with their two children. Okay. Again, nobody knows what caused it because she's lost to history. But most people think it was the plague that caused it. How ironic is that? Exactly. You're the one that knows how to treat the plague. You're out, and your family dies of the plague. Yes, and this actually caused him to fall out of favor. Because this is the guy that cures the plague, but you can't save your own family because you were away. Right. So a lot of people ended up not liking him after this. And in 1538, a few years afterwards, he made a remark about a religious statue that resulted in charges of heresy against him. Oh, jeez. So again, this is when I go back to say I wouldn't have made it to 18. Yeah. Because this snide comments I make to people. He was ordered to appear before the church inquisition, which he chose not to go to. So instead, he left Provence to travel for several years through Italy, Greece, Turkey, just all over that region. And during these travels, he didn't have much to do. He was a doctor, a widower, and, you know, his kids have passed away. So he's healing people, but he's also looking for something else to do. You know, get that nightlife kind of going. Gotcha, gotcha. You need uh, the warmth of a woman every once in a while. Well, different, but he needed something. Okay. So he decided to go to these ancient, mysterious schools that are across the nation. Ancient. Or were. Ancient, mysterious schools? Yeah, They're just, they're schools. They're not academic schools, but they're places where they teach you potions and wizardry gotcha. and okay. psychic abilities, just okay. things like that. Okay. They probably teach the Wim Hof method if he no, Wim Hof. back then. I do know what the Wim Hof method is. <laughs> that's interesting. Because it's proven. Yes. That's the crazy part about Plus, that. Plus that one. dude's a nut. He is. In any case. So it's also believed at this time that Nostradamus experienced his psychic awakening while he was attending all these different schools. Okay. One of the legends of Nostradamus says that during his travels in Italy, he came upon a group of Franciscan monks, and he looked at one of them and said, you're going to be the future pope. Wow. Right? The monk was Felice Peretti, and he was ordained Pope Sixtus in 1585. And how many years after was that? uh, This is what... 1585 is when it was fulfilled, and he was running around 1540 or so. Okay. So 45 years later. That's not bad. After staying away for a handful of years from Provence, he felt he'd been away, and the Inquisition wouldn't care if he started coming back. Mm -hmm. So he returned to France, and he resumed his practice of treating plague victims again. Okay. This is early 1540s, mid-1540s, around there. He settled in his hometown of Salon de Provence and married a rich widow named Anne Passarde. Okay. That's the way to go. If you're going to marry, marry rich. That's funny. I got a little note here. They had six children, three boys and three girls. Okay. However, this was not a marriage of love. Okay. Like his first marriage. He was deeply in love with his first wife. This was a marriage of convenience. He needed a wife. Okay. He needed to have kids to carry his legacy on. Yeah. Found a woman that had some money, wanted some kids, parts fit, bada bing, bada boom. <laughs> I'm trying to remember, we covered somebody else that had a marriage like this. Was it, I think it was Poe, 
that one was a little creepier because it was his cousin. <laughs> but that was I, a little too. Convenient. Was was there another one? I, I, or am I misremembering? I want to say, uh, well, Franklin, wasn't it? Yes. Because Franklin married that lady he wasn't really in love with, but it was just right. easy enough to do. Right, and then he would go to France and jump around the brothels. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> now, while living in Salon de Provence, Nostradamus also published two books on medical science. One of them was a translation of Galen, who was the Roman physician, and another book, the I'm gonna I'm gonna mess this up. Traite de Ferdimens. Okay. Maybe. I, I didn't have get no that. idea what that means, but okay. <laughs> it's, it's those words. Those words. Regardless, it was a medical cookbook, essentially, for treating plague and for preparing, like, cosmetics for, for people. Within a few years of settling back into Salon de Provence, Nostradamus began moving away from medicine and more towards the occult. Okay. He would spend hours in his study at night meditating in front of a bowl filled with water and herbs. Okay. And his meditation would bring on trance and visions. Now, is this still being derived from the cabal or is this something else? I don't know. Okay. So this is where I don't know if, since I don't know a lot about cabal or Kabbalah, I don't know if this is just part of what they do. I don't know if this is part of these mysterious schools that he traveled to and picked up, you know, bits of here and there from what it looks like. It kind of looks like he's just got this hodgepodge mixed bag of, Oh, I like this. I like that. And he threw it all together and made up. So kind of what we see today as like new age kind of people. I can absolutely see him. Yeah. Couldn't you see this being like in Sedona, just a bunch of people doing what Nostradamus is doing right here. I can see him running his own yoga studio. Yeah. This is where people believe that his visions came from for the future was from using these herbs with this bowl and the meditation in 1550 nostradamus wrote his first almanac of astrological information and predictions of the coming year just the year yes okay almanacs were very popular at this time as they were they, they provided useful information to farmers merchants and like they would contain, they were kind of like a Reader's Digest. Yeah. It was a grab bag of everything. Like they had tidbits of knowledge about how this crop has been doing. And then they'd have jokes. They'd have, you know, little written cartoons and things like that. And bits of local folk folklore. And then also Nostradamus's predictions for that year. His first almanac received such great response that it served to spread his name across all of France kind of re-solidifying his celebrity again and encouraged him to write more. Of course, okay. you know, hey, it's working. I'm making money. I'm going to keep doing it. Did it say what exactly he would predict? No, what he it did didn't predict? say what okay. it was that he predicted for that year. Most people don't really care about it because that year's already gone. Yeah, right, right. They don't even care if it's right or not. Exactly. Now, by 1554, Nostradamus' visions had become an integral part of his works in the Almanac. Before it was just a, hey, I'm going to try this out. Now people love it so much, it's most of it. Okay. And he decided to channel all of his energies into this massive opus that he entitled Centuries. Okay. He planned to write 10 of them. Okay. Which would contain 100 predictions forecasting the next 2,000 years. That's nuts. Yes. So, sorry, you said 100 predictions for each thousand or just... No, it's going to be 100 predictions okay. for the next 2,000 years. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. 
1555, he published the prophecies. It's actually in French, but I'm not even going to try. It stands for the prophecy. Okay. It was a collection of his major long-term predictions. Now, remember, at this time, folks were very religious. Right, right. He was feeling vulnerable to religious persecution. persecution. I would imagine so. Yeah, because he's making predictions. Right. He devised a method of obscuring his prophecies. Okay. By using quatrains. These are rhymed four-line verses. Yep, yep. And a mixture of languages. So he'd write them in Greek and Latin and Italian and so he Southern used, French. So it was more for, he kind of disguised it as art rather he dis- than. Exactly. Okay. He disguised them as poems that just didn't make any sense. Yeah. Or so he said. The words of a crazy man kind of thing. More or less. Well, but So they made sense. You could read it and understand it. Okay. Yeah. But there's people who would look at it and go, oh, well, that obviously means that this is going to happen. Okay. So kind of like picking up your local horoscope and... Yeah. Yes. I okay. did not mention it in this, the yeah. horoscope thing, but mm-hmm. when we get further on, we'll, we'll hear my... I'm really surprised that he was able to do this at this time because, I mean, this isn't really that far off from like the 1600s, like witch trials in yes. in America. I would just, I, I, I'm not a historian here, so I, I personally don't know of any stories in Europe of witch trials, but I'm assuming that probably was a thing there too. And so I feel like this is pretty risky. Well, we had to get the idea from somewhere. Right. You know, I, I don't think Canadians were burning people at the stake back then. So it's probably oh. from Europe. <laughs> <laughs> but so this is where the waters to me start getting a little convoluted. Mm-hmm. Because if he's writing predictions that are coming true, someone's going to look at him and be like, he's a witch. Yeah. Burn him. Or he's a wizard. Burn yeah, he, him. He's in, he's in allegiance with the devil, basically. Something yeah. like that. This is also, what, 50 years after his grandfather changed their name to not sound Jewish. Right. And now he's getting mystical with all this stuff. Mm-hmm. That's where I, I think that he's, he's not a seer. I think that he was writing art Yeah. that was misinterpreted later on. Yeah. But I digress. I said it right that time. He became famous with his writings and became like an in-demand kind of person for the... For the elite in Europe, okay, they would call on him to drop horoscopes for them, or okay, okay, kind of like it sounds like. Who was that? Who was that one lady that was on TV? The Jamaican, yeah, Madam. I don't know. I know exactly who you're talking yeah. about. But yeah, she's like, "Call me now, baby. Right, Read your right. fortune." Yeah, my worst Jamaican accent. Sorry, <laughs> Catherine de Medici the wife of King Henry II of France, was one of Nostradamus's greatest admirers. Really? Okay. Which probably helped him to not of course, be yeah. burned at the stake. After reading one of his almanacs in 1555, where he hinted at unnamed threats to her family, she called him to Paris to explain and draw up horoscopes for her and her kids. Mm-hmm. Only a few years later, she made him a counselor and physician in ordinary to King Henry's court. Wow. Wow. So now he's, he's making it in big time. Now. Of course. He, and now you're really protected. And no matter what you say, people are going to believe you because, yep. you know, the royal family is listening to what you say. Yeah. Nostradamus claimed to base his published predictions off of, like, judicial astrology, 
which okay. is like the art of forecasting future events by calculating where the planets are and stellar stellar bodies like in relationship to where the earth is at and he his sources included passages from like from historians like Plutarch as well as medieval chroniclers from who he borrowed very liberally gotcha many scholars believe that he paraphrased into the world prophecies mainly from the Bible. Okay. And then through like astrological readings of the past, predicted the events in the future. So basically he's taking multiple sources to mishmash a prediction. Well, he would take like something from revelations. Mm -hmm. He would take that and go, okay, this is happening in the future. And then he'd try to line it up with the stars okay. and figure out when it was going to happen. And then he'd write four lines and be like, oh, look, the world's ending. Okay. Makes sense. There's also evidence that not everybody enjoyed him. Not everybody thought his predictions were correct. He was even criticized by professional astrologers of the day for being incompetent and <laughs> assuming that comparative horoscopy could predict the future. That's... <laughs> So I feel like that's a very niche market in the first place. And when the, the people in that niche, when people in that niche group tell you that you're wrong, then you're really wrong. Yeah. So is it niche or niche? It depends if you're French or American. <laughs> because no joke, I don't know why I remember this, but there was a dad that was part of our baseball team and he hated it when people said niche because he was French Canadian. He's like, no, no, it is niche, you idiots. And <laughs> so it's, I think it's a tomato, tomato thing. Gotcha. Is it foyer or foyer? I don't know. What, what is it? <laughs> so now, even though he's riding his high horse, he's underneath the queen, he's getting all his royal treatment, he's making gobs of money. Yeah, I would imagine. He did suffer from gout and arthritis most of his adult life. Okay. And in the last years of his life, the condition turned into edema. Do you know what edema is? I do not. Okay. Uh, I had to look it up, too. It's not only a terrible band from when I was growing up, it's also where abnormal amounts of fluid will accumulate underneath the skin and, like, in cavities in your body. Okay. So you swell up. Oh, okay. And it's to the point where it's, like, it's not gelatinous, but it's very thick. It's like yeah. plasma, so if you push on it. It'll just stay indented. I can imagine it being like when you get a really bad black eye and it swells up, that kind of... Yeah, but so when you push on it, it stays indented. Okay. It's not oh. like you push on it and it comes, comes out. back out. In June of 1566, Nostradamus asked to see his lawyer to drop his will. Okay. He left most of his estate to his wife and kids, of course. Okay. And on the evening of July 1st, 1566... He was alleged to have told his secretary, Jean de Chavignet, you will not find me alive at sunrise. And the next morning, he was reportedly found lying dead on the floor next to his bed. Edema without treatment typically results in congestive heart failure. Okay. So that's what we think that he passed away from. Gotcha. But that's interesting that he said, hey, I'm going to die, and he dies. Allegedly. Well, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. But I feel like, is that a chance? Did he take something? Was he just like, dude, I'm done with life? You know? Who knows? Right. I know when people get near death, things start getting real weird. Yeah. And that's one of my favorite things to to converse about is 
near-death experiences and yeah. people who right before they die they're like hey uh can you get my suitcase i'm leaving in a little while they'll tell a nurse you know i, I gotta go my plane's gonna be here my train's gonna be here mm-hmm. and then two hours later they're passed away right right so it's, it's really weird well and then you always hear the stories of people like passing away and like for some reason that the time that they said goodbye to their loved ones it was like different like when my grandfather passed away my uncle says that he just the way that my grandfather said goodbye to him he almost felt like he knew it was the last time and so you wonder if that i'm not trying to get all new agey or weird here but you wonder if that veil between life and death gets you know really thin and you can almost feel it or get have an idea that it's coming i would think so yeah you would think that there would have to be Mm -hmm. so maybe that's just what he saw and maybe he did have a prediction i don't know again i wasn't there so, but now we're going to go over a little bit of his predictions. So, do you know any of his major ones? Nine uh, eleven. I know there was that one. Um, did he have something with twenty twelve? Maybe I didn't look up the twenty twelve one. Okay. I, I I no. I thought he back. No, no, never mind. Because that was mostly the the Mayans. Nine eleven is the main one that I know of. Oh, did he figure out Hitler? And that you didn't know that one. Like that's the that's the one that most people know about is Hitler. Okay. Nah, the one I know is 9/11. Okay. All right. Well, we can cover 9/11 first. Well, I don't care which one we cover first, but okay. So these are some of his predictions. I'm just going to tell you what he wrote and then you guys can decide whether or not you think it's real okay. or not. One prediction is while he was still alive and serving the king. This was in 1556. Nostradamus told of a young lion who would overcome an older one on the field of battle. The young lion would pierce the eye of the older one and he would die a cruel death. Three years later, King Henry was 41 years old. He jousted in a friendly match against the captain of his Scottish guard at his daughter's wedding. A splinter from his opponent's weapon pierced the king's visor and entered into his brain. He survived for 10 days before he finally succumbed to infection. Oh, my God. He died of infection and not of the splinter in his brain. That's nuts. Now, the actual words that he wrote in this prediction were, quote, In a cage of gold, his eyes will be put out, two wounds in one, then to die a cruel death. End quote. So, thousands of people believe this prediction was true. Okay. And they demanded that he be burned at the stake. Just because his prediction was true. But was it? So his prediction says, in a cage of gold, his eyes will be put out, two wounds in one, then to die a cruel death. So he was pierced through the eye and into the brain. So that would be two wounds. Yeah. The cage of gold, they say, is the helmet that, that King wore. And then to die a cruel death is 10 days and then infection and dying from that. I don't know if it would be considered a cruel death. I, I think that's a, I think that's a very, it's one of those things. The prediction is very, could be interpreted so many different ways Yes, that, you know, he could have died, you know, in a cage while searching for sharks and that could have been it, you know, that's, exactly. But, but regardless, the people of the time thought, nope, this is yeah. this is heresy. This is blasphemy. He shouldn't be, have these abilities, and so they demanded that he be burned at the stake. Right. And he also was very forth, you know, forthcoming with, "Hey, these are predictions." Yes. Yeah. Now, luckily, since he was 
in such favor with Catherine Medici, he was spared. Okay. Another one of his predictions is London burning down. Okay. Quote, The blood of the just will commit a fault at London, burnt through lightning of 23 the 6. The ancient lady will fall from her high place. Several of the same sect will be killed. Okay. So did the queen die? No. No. So in regards to the date, though, 20 times 3 is 60. If you add 6 to that, you've got 66. Or the year, 1666. Now, London did have a three-day blaze that started September 2nd, 1666. It burned most of the 80,000 people's homes. Okay. 87 churches. Okay. And even the bakery that started the fire. Okay. Oddly enough. Uh, dude, yeah. You know, <laughs> where the fire started, it burnt down. Holy cow. So just to tie this back in with the whole plague thing, this this is, I found super interesting. After this fire burned such a large segment of London, it's thought to have helped in the spread of plague. Because the area that was destroyed contained such unsanitary conditions and so many rats and fleas living in it that when it burned down, they all died. They all died. So it pretty much ended the inf infection. No plague epidemic ever returned to London after this. Wow. Nutty, wow, right? Wow, that's crazy. So, what in, so I understand the year portion, but what about like it was a spark? So he said lightning. Okay. He said lightning came down. Did, but you're saying it was a bakery the fire. Bakery, he, the bakery, the baker started the fire accidentally. Okay. So that's where people are like, oh, well, the lightning signifies something different. They say, well, the year makes sense. So 1666, he said that because, you know, 20 times 3 is 6, and then you add 3 and blah, blah, blah. And, and where are we getting that number again? Can you repeat the, the rhyme? So that comes through. Burnt through lightning of 23's the 6. 23's. The six. But okay. it says burnt through lightning. So and did it the lady falling? That's the one I was focusing on. Nothing. Nothing. So people say that it could be Lady London. Okay. She's burning. Okay. But no queen died. It wasn't, you know, like the palace was on fire. But I feel like you could I mean, other than the year portion, you could talk you could say this was the Great Fire of Chicago or you know what there's a ton of stuff you could say this yeah. is. And it doesn't say 1666. If you add this up the way they have added it, it's just 66. Right. So that could be 1766, 1866, 1966. Or it could have started on 66th Avenue, you know. Exactly. Yeah. So this is the big one most people know about. Hitler. Okay. Quote, from the depths of the west of Europe, a young child will be born of poor people. He who by his tongue will seduce a great troop. His fame will increase towards the realm of the east. Beasts ferocious with hunger will cross the rivers. The great part of the battlefield will be against Hister. Into a cage of iron will the great one be drawn when the child of Germany observes nothing. Now on April 20th, 1889, Adolf Hitler was born in Austria, mm -hmm. which is in Western Europe. Right. But his family was middle class. Okay. They were not impoverished. He did rise to power in part due to his speaking abilities, right. which by his tongue will seduce. And he did initiate World War II. Yes. A great troop by invading Poland. Mm -hmm. Some of Nostradamus' supporters have 
poised that Hister is simply a misspelling of Hitler. Okay. That somewhere in the translation it was lost. Okay. But it's actually a Latin term for the Danube River. Okay. Which is right by Germany. But it's still interesting that the name sounds familiar. Sure. This one, this one I can believe a little bit because just because he was born in middle class, it was Austria or this area of the world poor at that time. It was. Because the reason world why War World War II was so, even became a thing was because it was more effective for people to burn their money than to spend it. Yeah. And so I could see that. I mean, this, this one's kind of freaky on how accurate it is. We're talking Germany. We're talking about the West. He talked about moving east. A lot of the stuff that he was able to take over is east of Germany. And um, they talk about into a cage of iron will the great one be drawn. So does that mean his bunker? Okay. Or does that talk about tanks, the great cage of iron? Hmm. But that's what I'm saying. It could be this. It could be that. It could be this. It could be anything. Why Why is the word iron curtain coming to mind? Was that something that in was Russia? Russia? Right. He was also tr- drawn to try to take over Russia. That's true. It could yeah. be that. So. And Russia is to the east of him. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, this this one out of the, any of the ones that we that this one out of all of the ones that you've read so far makes the most sense. Okay, but it's sounding like you're a skeptic. I'm an absolute skeptic. Okay, I I I think that this is so. Well, let's finish first. Okay. We only got a few more. Did he predict atomic weapons? So quote near the gates and within two cities there will be scourges the like of which was never seen. Famine within plague. People put out by steel, crying to the great immortal God for relief. So, people that believe in Nostradamus say that this is him predicting the U.S. attacking Japan and Nagasaki and Hiroshima. And in 1945, the U.S. did drop two atomic atomic bombs on Japan within two cities... The cities were devastated, and many survivors of the blast suffered from radiation poisoning. Quote, crying to the immortal god for relief. And in the wake of the war, Japan also went through a food shortage crisis, which yeah. happens after you lose a war. Right. And this is his famine and plague that he yeah. talked about. This one's a stretch. This could literally talk about any war. Well, absolutely. I think the same thing. Yeah. It's so vague that it, you can draw conclusions however you want. Right. Right. Now, the 9-11 attacks, we all know what happened, so I'm not going to go into it, but I will say what he wrote down. Okay. Earth-shaking fire from the center of the earth will cause tremors around the new city. New is capitalized. Right. Two great rocks will war for a long time. Then, Arthusa will redden a new river. That one, once again, very vague, but I think this one is a little bit more accurate than some of the other ones that we've talked about. So Not think, as much as hit the Hitler one, but I can see how this, especially the one that I think gets me and gets most people is the fact that he capitalized the word new and it happened in New York. We're talking about the twin towers, two rocks. Um, you said the new river was red, correct? So then Arthusa will redden a new river. But new is not capitalized there. Okay. Do you have an interpretation for this of what that could be? No, I okay. don't. Because again, I don't. I didn't. I don't believe it. Yeah. 
earth-shaking fire from the center of the earth. To me, that's volcano. Yeah. Will cause tremors around the new city. Did New York tremor? No, but he can interpret. You can interpret it that way. You could. And new city can be anything. New city, the way he has it written here, is a proper name. So that's capitalized. So that's where people get New, new York. York. Okay, right. well, there's a lot of things that we label new. Right. It could also mean a new city that has come out that's on an island. Mm-hmm. It could be Maui. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then the two great rocks will war for a long time. Which, okay, we've been at war mm-hmm. with the Middle East now because yeah. of, well, not the Middle East, but yeah, obviously sex there. Right. For, what, 20 years? No, yeah, more than that. Because of it? Because of... Oh, because of this. Yeah. yeah, we're still there. So, there's that. But would you compare America, if they're a rock, would you compare Afghanistan as a rock? No, and you're not, even, rock? you're not even fighting a... a you're fighting Technically, a you're, you're fighting, what was it, Al-Qaeda. Yeah, a time. religious sect. Right. So, I don't know if I'd compare the two and say, this is a rock, that's a rock. Yeah. To me. And then... Then Ar- Arthusa will redden a new river. Who is Arthusa? Arthusa. In Greek mythology, Arthusa was a nymph and daughter of Nereus, making her Nereid, who fled from her home in Arcadia beneath the sea and came up as a fresh water fountain on the island of Artesia, Artesia in Syracuse, Sicily. Uh, um, Syracuse, Sicily? Syracuse, Syracuse New, new York. York? Okay. Dude. So, but maybe that's where people are drawing correlations. I'm just being stupid here, but yeah. I I think it's all nonsense. He does go on. Obviously, he had a lot of them. Predicting assassinations, revolutions, wars, floods, yada, 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 yada. My conclusion, I'll tell you after Nick's. (laughs) You know what? I think... The, I think the one that really gets me is the Hitler one. I feel like that's the only one that truly lines up with exactly what was said. The other ones feel like, and this is this is the hard thing because I don't personally believe that psychic can predict the future. You know, that's I believe in a lot of weird stuff, but that's one I don't believe in. The Bible does talk about that, but that different. So it, it condemns it. Right. But it does say that it's real. But it's saying that they're in, you know, concording or... Uh, they're in cahoots. They're in cahoots with yeah. Satan. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, my thing with all of this is I think it's too good to be true kind of thing. I think it's one of those overarching things like a like a horoscope where it's really vaguely written or predicted that you could kind of take it anyway. And make it true. So, I, I I don't think this is real. But hell, we could, you know, be in the afterlife and figure out, hey, Nostradamus was correct about this, 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 and this. If we would have just read his damn almanac, we would have saved the world from everything. I don't know. but Maybe. Yeah. What about Maybe. you? What do you think? So, I, I'm in the same school of thought yeah. here. I, I'm not convinced that he had any real ability psychically. Mm-hmm. I think that he had medical ability. But my personalist opinion is that he was just a dude writing stuff down that sold. Yeah. To be completely honest, he became wealthy largely because of his writings. Mm-hmm. And I think this is something almost anyone could do. Something we see people doing now. Right. 
they make just, again, such great generalizations that any person could draw correlations to their own life or historic events, much like psychics of today do. Yeah. I'm not going to say any names, but South Park had an amazing episode on this. <laughs> Season 6, episode 15. Okay. Go watch and observe the message because it's like one of those things where if you go into a crowd of people and you go, I'm getting a reading. I feel H. H, is there an H here? And someone raises their hand and goes, my husband Henry died three years ago. Yeah, Henry, that's what I was thinking. He wants to say, don't worry about the money? Does that mean anything? Oh my gosh, yes. I've been wondering if I should spend, you know, his life insurance on a new car for me. Yeah, he's saying, don't worry about it. Get what you want. Well, okay. He said H in a group of 80 people. Right. One lady said, oh, Henry. Right. She's there alone. Henry's probably dead. So right. Henry's calling me and saying, don't worry about the money, which is something everybody worries about. Right, right. So it's that's what I think Nostradamus yeah. did. Yeah. He wrote such generalizations that anybody could draw any sort of conclusion they wanted. Right. And it's tough. I mean, the other thing too, coming coming to what you just said was my only my own experience with psychics and psychic abilities are what I see on like ghost adventures and they make yeah. it feel either so over dramatized that it's not real or they hit the right points where it's like, oh, this could be real. I don't have a real experience with a medium or with a psychic. So it's it's hard for me to truly say, no, this isn't real, but I'm a skeptic and I don't think that this is real. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Yeah. Please let us know what you think. Maybe we're totally wrong and I want to hear from you. Yeah. So and please. If, and if you happen to be a psychic or a medium and, you know, you think we're idiots, I would love to hear, you know, your stories and your point of views and things that you've seen. I, I, I'm always open to hearing and open to learning new things. So, yeah, we'd love to have a conversation. And we actually have a famous medium here in Arizona. Do we? The, the show Medium is based off of her. Really? Yes. Okay. So, hey, if you're listening, I hope you're a fan. What's her name? I totally forget. Okay. If you Google it, you'd find her. Okay. Anyway, with that, I think we're going to end this episode. And Nick, if people would like to get in touch with us to tell us how wrong we are, how could they do that? Well, they can come to my house and shove it. But <laughs> anyways... Where they can actually get a hold of us is you can get a hold of us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Cliff, did you create a TikTok? I did create a TikTok, but not specifically for humanizing history. Oh, okay. But you know what? I talk about it, so it's at Corpse Jelly if you'd like to follow me. Pretty much anywhere where you can get onto social media, you can get a hold of us. And also email us at humanizinghistory at gmail.com. Dot com. Cool. Well, thanks for listening, folks. We're going to end this podcast and move on to the next one. Yeah, I need a break. Yes. <laughs> Have a good night. Love each other. Peace out.